And I think I got caught up a little bit in, in my early career, kind of trying to be really cool and have the coolest job and be super glamorous. And I just realized that that isn't, that wasn't me. And that isn't, that's not who I am. Um, and having that realization and getting comfortable with that just opened up so many more possibilities and allowed me to really follow my own instincts. Hey guys, welcome to Active Ingredient, the podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I'll be taking a deep dive into why people do what they do and what it is that drives them. I believe every single person has an active ingredient to them, aka a purpose, and all we have to do is uncover what that is and activate it. I'm looking at people across the board with fancy titles like editors and chiefs, founders and CEOs, to under-the-radar activists who are changing the world one person at a time. I want to get to the bottom of how they first discovered their passion how they channel their talent consistently, and ultimately how their active ingredient is making the world a better place. This week's episode is with Lily Galef. Lily is the co-founder and chief brand officer of Hilma, a brand that recently launched that is reimagining our medicine cabinets with natural remedies that are all backed by science. Think like a natural and homeopathic alternative to Advil, for example. Prior to starting Helma, Lily built her career as a creative brand marketer and strategist managing content and partnerships at some really impressive companies like Vogue, Vox, and Refinery29. But at a certain point in her career, she felt like she had to take a step back and really ask herself if the jobs that she was going for were for the sake of having a quote-unquote cool job or if they were really fulfilling her deeper needs and goals. And eventually, she got comfortable with the fact that having that glamorous job for the sake of having the glamorous job was just not cutting it for her. She had also come across a major pain point, which was that the health and wellness space was offering alternatives to every single area of our life except for our medicine cabinets, which is arguably one of the most important areas that we should be paying attention to. She and her co-founders took that insight and ran with it, and after two years of research, assembling a world-class team of scientists, and kicking off three clinical studies, which she told us in the episode they are releasing end of this year, they were ready to launch Helma not too long ago and have already gotten a ton of buzz in the wellness space. She walks us through how her past jobs have helped set her up for success in leading Helma in all things brand strategy, the first steps that she and her co-founders took to test to see if the concept of Helma was viable, how they test for efficacy in their products and why being grounded in science has been their biggest differentiator, how the over-the-counter aisles and supplement aisles are starting to overlap and merge, and why spending time alone opens you up for a ton of growth. So with that, let's get into this week's episode with Lily Galef. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I feel like this has been a long time coming of us kind of being in the industry. Um, so thank you for doing it. Of course. I'm so happy to join. I'm such a fan of this this podcast. Yay. Oh my God. I love that. So as you know, I start every podcast asking what you were like as a kid that you remember. And if there are any qualities from your childhood that you feel like are infiltrated into what you are like today as a business owner. Yeah. I love that question. Um, So I was a super shy and kind of introverted kid. Um, I found a lot of comfort, I guess, reading books and kind of being by myself. And I'm also, like I mentioned to you, I'm the oldest of five kids. So I've always been kind of 
a bit of a mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has definitely uh, translated to who I am today. I've, I've gotten over my shyness a bit, um, but I'm definitely sort of the the mom, the, the homebody, the protector of the group. Um, and, and yeah, and I think, you know, reading has always been super interesting to me. And um, I've always been compelled by storytelling. And I think that's really translated into my career as a founder. 100%. So you are a co-founder with two other founders. Do you feel like that role of mother, or I guess like that kind of feeling is in that same dynamic with your other founders? You know, that's a funny question. I guess so in a sense. I am um I'm always making sure everyone is okay and happy and kind of checking in on everyone emotionally. So I guess mm-hmm. that I guess it does kind of come through a bit a bit there. And also like I just wonder because you're one of five, like it, it's it's rarer to see three founders of a company. It's like way more common to see one or two co-founders or whatever. I'm like wondering if that also has to do with the fact that you come from five and like maybe you feel more comfortable with three. I don't know. I'm definitely very comfortable in a group. Um, I think, and you know, I feel so fortunate to have Nina and Hillary, my co-founders, because, you know, starting a business is really it's amazing and exciting, but it's also incredibly challenging and emotional. Um, and for me, having the, having their support is crucial. I wouldn't be able mm-hmm. to do it with them. So um, I, I always say when people ask about that, I'm like, you need a co-founder. You need... I don't have one. And it's like the most isolating thing in the yeah, whole world. Yeah, because it's, <laughs> it's such a unique experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really worthwhile to have someone who's going through it with you who can really understand what you're going through and, and relate to all of the different challenges that you're experiencing totally. and also celebrate the wins. Yeah. And it's just like more fun. You get to hang out with your friends, <laughs> like be creative together. Well, we're going to get more into having co-founders and figuring out what the right questions are for people. But before we get into Hilma, I want to kind of get a snippet of your career trajectory. Um, what did you think that you wanted to be? What did you study and kind of walk me through how we got here? So when I was very little, I wanted to be a painter or a writer because I just mm. love coloring books. Wait, that's literally things. what you do. Um, kind, in a, kind in of, a way. Kind <laughs> of, yeah. So I, I learned very quickly that I was not talented with visual arts um, myself. Um, but I studied uh, art history and I, I really wanted to be in the art world um, when I was in college. So my first job out of school was actually at Christie's in the Impressionist and Modern Art Department, which was wow, an amazing experience. Um, and you know, what was made your role? So many relationships there. Um, I was the admin on the evening sales, so working with all of the big name paintings that were coming in, the headlines for the big sales, and all the all the big clients. It was really interesting. Um, but I ultimately kind of realized that I didn't want it to be my career. Um, what and made you realize that? I just, I just didn't see myself in any of my boss's roles. I just didn't see the that. That is there. super key. Yeah. That that right yeah. there is extremely, extremely important. If you don't, if there's nothing about your bosses that excites you or that makes you want to do that eventually in life, like that is such a red flag. Yeah, I mean, I I was so lucky. I had amazing mentors, and I really looked up to everyone who I worked for. Um, mm-hmm. But I just didn't see the path for myself personally to get there. Right. Um, and so I was left really not knowing what to do or where to go. 
Um, but I had always been really interested in media. I loved all the big magazines. Um, and like I said, I've always been really interested in storytelling. So I found myself at Vogue in the PR and brand marketing department. Which okay, we really need to talk about that. And sorry that I got like so micro. It's that like oh, this no, podcast no. is like literally for the people that like are trying to figure out those transitions. And it's like, how do you go about doing that? You know? I was really lucky. A friend of mine, um, a friend of mine's older sister worked at Vogue and I had just looked up to her kind of my whole life and had always <laughs> um, stayed in touch with her. And the timing just worked out really well. There was an open role um, on a team adjacent to hers. And I went through a bunch of interviews and ended up getting the job. It was an entry-level uh, PR and brand marketing role. Um, but it was really interesting because I kind of learned the basics of how the editorial side worked, um, mm -hmm. how media companies were marketing themselves, how, um, you know, it's funny because Vogue is a place that everyone's approaching for PR, but I was right. internally helping with the PR there. So thinking Proactively. about yeah. how are we, how are we positioning the Met Gala this year? Like what are the, what are the headline stories that, you know, we're going to have XYZ editor participate in. So things like that. It was really, oh God, I need to know the detail. Like, how does it work? Like, do you, would you guys have like weekly meetings on what you guys would be pitching on behalf of Vogue or like how, yeah. how does it work? Yeah. We, we, I mean, we had, my boss um, was really talented and, um, you know, had amazing connections in the media industry. And, you know, when you're Vogue, it's easier to get press. Oh, Everyone's that's why I'm curious. Doing. So it wasn't, um, it was just very interesting to kind of see the strategy there mm -hmm. um, and understand how, you know, uh, such a household name thinks about crafting their narrative in the press. What was uh, like the biggest takeaway that you got from that, from experiencing their strategy? I think honestly, the biggest takeaway for me was that there, that, that it was so intentional. I think as just a, a person out in the world, as a consumer, I just thought, oh, Vogue is this thing that's bigger than any one person. And it's such a household name and has been so for so many years. Um, and realizing that actually that narrative is, is intentional and there are so many smart people at Vogue who are really making that happen every day and who are taking the amazing talent that's on the editorial team and getting them out there and continuing right. to build that brand. Um, yeah. And, and I also think I, I learned a lot about kind of storytelling um, there as well in terms of like thinking about how you craft a narrative that's interesting to to the public um, and how to sort of navigate media relationships. Um, but anyway, so I was I was there for a little bit over a year and then I was a, more interested in learning kind of the, the business side of media. And so I moved over to Vox Media, which is an amazing company. Um, that I really enjoyed working for. Um, there I was more on sort of, like I said, the business side and sort of understanding how we could monetize the amazing content that was coming out of the editorial teams. Mm -hmm. And it was fascinating because um, Vox obviously houses multiple brands. Right. So really interesting for me to be able to dive into the brand voice of you know, Eater one day and Curb the other day and SB Nation the other day. And it was, it was very different, a very different consumer that right. we were talking to and a different advertiser. And it was interesting. to. So were about. you liaising with the advertiser and figuring out where their message makes sense and then figuring out their message? Like, was that what the role entailed? So, so I was really working with the editorial team and really okay. talking to them and understanding what they were, what they were coming up with. And then I was working with 
our internal sales team who is working with the advertisers to understand like, okay, where are their connections here? Like, where is there a connection between this amazing, you know, overview of the the best 10 restaurants in every city in America that Eater is working on? Like, Mm -hmm brand that's going to want to own that. And like, how can we do that in an organic way that feels authentic? Mm -hmm. Um, doesn't feel so, um, branded. Right. Um, and so that was really interesting. Um, I got a little bit, um, it was, it was tough for me to constantly be changing brand voice every day. Like one, like I said, it was really how many brands did Vox have at the time? Um, at the time I think they had eight, they have, they have a lot more now. Yeah. They have all of New York magazine, which is amazing. Um, and so from there I moved over to refinery 29, um, where I was for over three years. Um, and that was really the job that I had before I decided to start Hilma. Um, and that role was really kind of the culmination of everything I had done previously in my career. So I was really focused on, uh, content strategy for our retail and fashion partners. So I was working with brands like Target and H&M to sort of understand their, marketing goals and find a way to translate those into a really interesting and compelling story for the refiner trainer audience that would help them, um, you know, forge a stronger relationship with that brand and with us. Um, and that was an amazing experience. I really it sounds like it. Yeah. Working there. Um, and it was, it was, it was so interesting to me because I was able to understand the marketing goals of these big brands and see sort of how they were spending their money and what they were focused on. Um, but also able to work with the amazing creative team at refinery 29 and be inspired by them and understand how you put scrappy photo shoots together Mm -hmm. and, um, tell stories that can, you know, drive sales, but also be incredibly inspiring and interesting. So it was, it was a great experience. And all of that obviously set me up very well for my job now at Hilma, which is right. um, obviously co- co-founder, but also chief brand officer. So I'm really focused on all of the ways that Hilma shows up in the world. Um, all of our content, social media, emails, website, all of that, um, marketing partnerships um, and PR. I'm curious to know what was going on in your life and like how the idea of Helma came to be, how you were connected with your co-founders and at what point, like throughout your marketing career, did you always in the back of your head think that you were kind of putting a hat on the brand voice for all of these different brands and one day you wanted to have your own and focus on that 24-7? So I never thought I would be an entrepreneur. I never conceived of it. I always read stories about the amazing people, Mm -hmm. Emily Weiss and all of these amazing female entrepreneurs. And I was found them so inspiring, but I never thought that I would ever do something myself. Um, but honestly, when my partners and I had this idea, it just, it was such a clear gap in the market. And I was so excited about it and passionate personally Mm -hmm. about filling that gap that it just happened. Um, and you know, honestly, I also, like I said, I have such amazing, brilliant co-founders and I don't think I would have necessarily made the leap to do it if I had been totally right. I have a a really great team that I felt comfortable. A hundred percent. 
But I would love to get kind of like the whole play-by-play of when you first came up with the idea, were you currently at your Refinery29 job or wherever you were? And then what steps you were taking behind the scenes? At what point you guys felt ready to leave your full-time jobs to do it? Like give me that whole shebang because that is what our listener is like here to know. Yeah, of course. So um so the idea for Hilma really came, My one of my co-founders, Nina, is one of my oldest friends. And the two of us were just hanging out normally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wasn't feeling well. And I said, oh, hey, do you have anything I can take? You know, I, I, I'm feeling kind of off. And she was like, yeah, I do. And she pulled out one of the kind of common immune support brands that you see in every over-the-counter aisle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, bright orange, full of sugar, crazy packaging. And we looked at it and we just thought, why are we using this product? It felt so incongruous with all of the other products that we had in our lives from, you know, clean beauty to organic food to even, you know, clean Mrs. Meyers household cleaning products. Um, and this was kind of the sore thumb that was sticking out that just really didn't fit in. Um, and it felt very ironic because, you know, your medicine cabinet is in theory, the place where you should be caring the most about what's in your products. And for some reason had had a a blind spot there. Um, and so we just, it it was kind of that typical aha moment. And then we immediately brought the idea to our third co-founder, Hillary, who Nina had gone to business school with and who I had known personally for a few years. Um, and she has amazing background in sort of the natural product space. So we were we had to get her her take on it. And she agreed that it was an amazing opportunity. So we, we basically just became obsessed with this concept. Um, and all of us were working at other jobs at the time. And um, we just started doing our research. So we looked and we saw on one end of the spectrum, the kind of Wait, typical... Before we get into like the research part... When you the three of you when the three of you met and decided that this is a white space that you're 100 percent down to go for, mm-hmm. what did that look like logistically? Did you guys get a lawyer and write papers on being equal partners? Like, did you guys have anything formalized? So we didn't formalize it right away. We okay. agreed that we would be. We agreed that we were going to be equal co-founders in the business. Okay, that was an easy decision right off right. the bat. Um, and we. Basically, we wanted to validate the idea. We all got very excited. We felt like it was a really amazing opportunity mm-hmm. um, to kind of reimagine the medicine cabinet. But we wanted to make sure that we were right about that. So we right. so spent just we spent a year while we were still in our jobs okay. validating the concept, doing a ton of competitive research, going to every over-the-counter aisle, going to every health food store, um, and then also researching scientific advisors. So the number one thing, so just backing up a bit, when we look at the market on one end, there's kind of the over the counter aisle, which is mm-hmm. full of, you know, the products that we've all been turning to our whole lives, right. uh, which we love because we know that they're going to work. We feel like they're backed by doctors right. and they're, they're trusted and they've just never been disrupted before. <laughs> yeah. And they're all, it's, it's accessible. It's easy. You can grab it, you know where it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, you know, the other side of that is that you don't really know what's in those products. And when you do take a closer look at the label, unfortunately, you find a lot of ingredients that many people like us are trying to avoid, like sugars and fillers and dyes, talc, you know, lots of things that people are starting to more and more really care about excluding from their mm-hmm. lives. 
Um, and then, so that's sort of over the counter. Then all the way on the other side, there's the traditional herbal space, which is a little crunchier. Um, you feel, you might feel really good about the ingredients that are in those products. They're natural. The labels are, are for the most part, pretty clean. Um, but if you don't have a ton of prior education, it's really difficult to navigate that space. So for example, totally. if you don't know what willow bark is, I was you're not about to that. explain to me what willow bark is. <laughs> So willow bark is an amazing herb um, that is actually the foundation for the discovery of aspirin um, because it has the salicins in it, which is the chemical compound that is the active ingredient in aspirin. Um, And it's an amazing herb that is part of our tension relief product, um, which is for occasional head tension. Um, And it works together with a lot of other herbs in that formulation to to create a really great experience for our customers. Um, But... That it so to my earlier point, right. you know what willow bark and is. And I'm like a wellness person, and I've never like before I started doing research on this podcast, like I had never heard of willow bark before, you know. And I would consider myself a pretty well versed person, so I totally understand that this is like kind of a hard thing to navigate. <laughs> totally, very difficult to navigate. And then also for even if you are someone who's able to do do your own research, yeah. the products themselves do not have the scientific, the same scientific backing that you would expect for, from a medicine cabinet product. Right. Um, so our vision was really to bridge the gap between those two things and create a product that stood up to our clean label standards that was made from the amazing, powerful, natural ingredients that are out there, um, but that also was really grounded in science. Um, and we knew that that was kind of the biggest barrier for us mm-hmm. because the three of us are not scientists. And also it is the most important piece of our differentiator as a brand, because, um, you know, if you're asking someone to try a new product, try a natural product, their number one question is going to be, okay, but does this actually work? Exactly. So our vision is to create a brand that is really grounded in science and, and the way that we sort of envisioned that, um, through that year of research that I mentioned was number one, by putting together an amazing board of scientific advisors. Um, and so back to your point of like, tactically, what were we doing? We were Googling every amazing, um, herbal institution. We were going on LinkedIn and searching different herbalists who worked at different academic institutions. We were looking at other brands in the space and seeing um, the types of people that they had on their boards. Um, And then we were just reaching out to them. And then to get like an advisor board, like how do you go about that? If this is like your first brand, like how, just for the person that's listening that may want to start something, like, do you Mm -hmm. offer them something in return? Are you paying them to be an advisor? Like what, what's the dynamic and how do you, how do you go about it? Yeah. So, um, we gave some equity to each of the advisors that we work with. So we basically pitched them on our business, got them really excited and they wanted to be a part of it. Um, Mm -hmm. and that was, you know, that sounds really simple, but actually it was a very long process of reaching out to people, getting them on the phone, um, having people say no to us and then going back to them, um, with different ideas. And it was a really important process that really helped us validate our concept because once we had, um, those core advisors on board, that was what gave us, gave the three of us the confidence to actually leave our jobs because we felt like we had this external validation of the scientific piece of the business, which was the most important part. Um, and so that was really what, what gave us the confidence. Um, 
How do you go about from really distinguishing your product from the supplement category? Like, how do you really go into the consumer's mindset and have them understand that this is a replacement for your Advil, Tylenol, all legacy brands that we have in our medicine cabinet? Like, how do you distinguish that from me putting this in my supplement cabinet versus putting it in my medicine cabinet? Well, so we are regulated as a dietary supplement. Um, So that is, you know, what we are. But I will say that for us, it's really about establishing the fact that you're meant to be using our products in a moment of need um, and using our scientific research to support that. So I mentioned the first piece of our scientific backing, which is our advisors. But Mm -hmm. the second is that we only use ingredients that have clinical research behind them um, that has have been proven to work in the specific use cases that we're applying them to. Um, so that's a really big piece of the puzzle in terms of sharing that information with our customers and also um, just kind of driving that, that understanding and that confidence that the products are going to work. Um, and then the third piece is that we're actually running clinical studies on our products themselves, which is one of our biggest differentiators in the space, particularly in the supplement space. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not a step that's actually required of supplement brands. Which so is I think like crazy. Really, yeah. Well, really to answer your question, I think our biggest differentiator from the supplement brands that are out there is the fact that we are running these clinical studies. And we're really excited to release the results of those later this year um, because they will kind of help exactly in that positioning that you just mentioned. Because I feel like that's that's the key, right? Like I need to, the goal is really just to get the consumer to reach for Helma instead of reaching for Tylenol. And it's like, those are two separate places in my household. I have a place for Tylenol and I have a place for my mm-hmm. supplements that I take every day for preventative care, not right. for... Like I, I got my period yesterday and I took Tylenol, you know, that's in a different, right. in a different home than where my vitamin D is. Well, totally. And, but you know, what's really interesting is that for more and more consumers, those two things are really becoming the same. Really? The same because yeah, I mean, everyone today wants to know what they're put what they're putting in and on their mm-hmm. bodies. Um, and, you know, the consumer trend of transparency has been, a buzzword for many years, but it's not going away. And mm-hmm. as people start to look more closely at their labels, particularly right now, and health is so top of mind, um, I think we've seen, we've definitely seen that people are really taking a closer look at their medicine cabinet. And we're seeing more and more examples of people who are really trying to avoid um, a lot of those products. And we see ourselves as just a really easy, accessible, natural option that people can use um, as a first step. Yeah. No, it's amazing. How did you guys go about formulation? Like to make sure that all the different properties that are in each one of the products that you guys offer work together? Yes, that's a, a great question was sort of like the next big step that we took um, after we had our advisors in place. Um, so bringing, getting that team together was really crucial for us because our advisors, obviously they advise us on a, a myriad of different things, but the core thing that they do is help us formulate our products. Um, so we, the three of us are not scientists and the reason that, and that's why we have this amazing board. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we did a ton of research ourselves to kind of get a sense of, you know, what are the products that have clinical research behind them? How have they been applied in the past? 
where have they seen the most success? And then we worked with our advisors to really pull together um, the most effective formulations possible um, with the highest quality sources. How many rounds of testing did you guys do before you decided to launch? Well, so there's testing is like, is a lot of different things for us. I mean, for each product, we went through a lot of different iterations of the product, um, whether it was from um, a flavor perspective or a form factor perspective, um, just really wanting to make sure that we were getting things to be as accessible as possible. I think like a big challenge with a lot of natural products is that their form factors can be really intimidating. You know, Mm -hmm. it might seem might be a tincture that you have to mix together or um, even even like a chewable pill that just tastes terrible. That's not an experience that we wanted to provide to our right. customers because one of our core um, values is making herbals more accessible. And right. so we wanted to mirror um, the form factors of what people are used to taking. So with our immune support, we have a packet that you mix into water with upset stomach and tension. It's just a capsule that you take. Um, but Ours are amazing, beautiful. That you know, are <laughs> and are beautiful. Different. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, they're they're. Now, I, and I want to talk about that because obviously you come from this marketing background. Like you're an expert in that space. How do you go from like I'm so curious to know what the mind mindset shift is from doing it for other brands, then doing it for yourself, and knowing that you're competing with these legacy brands who, whether or not they have like these bad things in the, in the actual pill or not, like there will have been in our medicine cabinets forever. Like how do you come up with the branding for the first ever disruptor of that space? Well, so it was a very long process. Um, I think I spent so much time doing research and just looking at all the brands that were out there, both on the, in the over the counter shelf, but also in, in the, the wellness brands that are out there mm-hmm. and seeing just what the landscape was. Um, And from there, I really had a couple of things that were my guiding light in terms of deciding how we wanted the brand to be. The first is um, really towing the line between science and nature. That was really, really important. Um, And making sure that, because those two things are, can be considered almost opposing in a sense. So it was a very difficult challenge with the, Mm -hmm. the, amazing creative team that we worked with to make sure, okay, we have to make it clear that these products are made from natural ingredients, but they also have to feel trustworthy. Right. You know, they have to feel scientific. And so there was a lot of work that we did with incorporating some, you know, more natural feeling colors and pairing that with some more scientific feeling line work. Um, and then the other thing was just making sure that the brand felt really recognizable. Um, I, you mentioned that so many of the over-the-counter products that we see today are, you know, you, you immediately know what it is right when you see the logo. Like from a mile away, um, I can tell. Exactly. And yeah. so for us, it was important to establish some of that visual language. Mm-hmm. So we have um, a seal that's on all of our all of our products. Um and says our tagline, natural remedies backed by science. Um, and that we see that as kind of like the Hilma stamp that you can always know. You see that, you know, it's a Hilma product. Um, and then the other piece is we have this marigold panel that goes on all of our bottles that lays out each ingredient that's in the product. And that was really important to us as well, because um, it's sort of what we call the the RX bar effect. You look right. at the product and you immediately recognize the ingredients. And you, you trust it. And especially if you're trying to shift consumer behavior, like you need trust. 
yeah, you know, you know what's in the product. Um, mm-hmm. and you're also struck by the simplicity of what's in the product. Um, because it's, you know, that we have, you know, four to six ingredients in each product. So, yeah. um, those were two things that were really, really important to us, um, as we were putting together the brand. And then the final piece that was, uh, incredibly important to me in terms of differentiating from a lot of those products is beyond just the visuals of, of the packaging itself, but for the brand, how do we establish an emotional connection with our community and with our audience? Um, and that's something that, you know, the, the over the counter brands really have not even Mm -hmm. tried to do, um, at all. And, and it's such a shame because health is so emotional Um, And there's such an opportunity there to connect with people around, you know, either health struggles that they've had or just interesting stories around their health. There are so many, uh, one of the most fun parts of my job really in the past few years has been talking to people about the ways that they've come to whatever their approach to their health is, whether it's something that their mom always told them or a really interesting cultural influence um, or, or a personal health challenge that they have that sort of changed how they approached um, their health individually. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's been really fun, actually. It's been a really fun brand to, to work on. And I think when it's your own company, you have a level of personal investment that that you really um, push it further, I think, than you would. I'm curious to know, because if it is in the dietary supplement category, like to really, really change that behavior, what does it look like to be able to move the product from the supplement section of the store to the Advil section of the store? Of the store? Like, is so that not, a possibility? So to be honest, we're, we're still navigating how we're going to show up in retail. Um, but I because think if I was in that, sorry to cut you off because I'm thinking of myself like at Dwayne Reed and if I'm in that category and I have my period and I need to go get Advil and I saw Hilma next to the Advil, I'd probably reach for the Hilma, you know? Totally. But um, I mean, I, I wouldn't go all the way to the supplement aisle, go through all of their, like, it's so, you know, messy. Yeah. <laughs> Merchandising and retail is going to be really key for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, you know, we're still DTC. We're still yep. in boutique retailers. We haven't really tapped into mass retail yet. Um, so I think that that's going to be a really interesting exercise for us. And I think merchandising is going to be really, really important. Um, but I think kind of the larger piece of what you're talking about is the consumer shift and the consumer mentality Mm -hmm. around how people are approaching their health. And you'll see in many of these mass retailers that actually the supplement aisle and the OTC aisle are getting closer and closer. And actually that there are, really? there is a lot of overlap between the products that's being, that are being merchandised there. And that's really reflective of the fact that consumers are looking for natural options when it comes to their health. Um, that's so refreshing to hear. Yeah. It's a huge, it, it's really a huge trend, um, that we've seen and that, um, is reflective in, in how, in retail and in, in, you know, consumer interest in our products. Right. How, and I, I don't know if you answered the question the first time, but how do you guys really test for efficacy? Because the one thing that I can think of, like trying to convince our parents, for example, to mm-hmm. try this versus, cause like, I feel like our demographic is way more open to trying something like this, but, um, for people who have been taking the Advil's, Tylenol's, Excedrin's for forever, um, how do you communicate that efficacy? Because if you're thinking of natural remedies, a lot of the time you're like, okay, well, I'll take this. But if I have a huge migraine, I'm going to go for the Excedrin. How do you, mm-hmm. how do you showcase that? Like, no, this product like actually will work just as much and will not have any terrible side effects for you. How do right. you, how do you go about that? Um, 
Well, first of all, if you have a migraine, you should take Excedrin. You should not take <laughs> We are, we're focused on, for that product specifically, we're focused on head tension. And if you have a migraine, you should take the, the big stuff. Okay. Um, but to, to actually answer your question, um, the way that we really answer this is with focusing on our science. Um, we have established an incredibly rigorous product development process for establishing what goes in our products and what doesn't. And we won't use an ingredient that hasn't been proven to work in a clinical study. So and that, that can be limiting to us in some ways too. So we're not going to be bringing like a, a cool new trendy ingredient that's right. in every wellness product because the no, research- that's better. You'll have more longevity this way. That's, that's kind of our, our idea. Yeah. Um, and so for us, it's really important for us to talk about that research. And it's really important for us to define to our audience what we mean by clinically backed um, because- it's really different than what you'll see from most companies out there. Um, we were really rigorous about the types of ingredients that we include. And then, like I mentioned, we are taking this additional step uh, or we've taken this additional step of um, investing in clinical studies on the products themselves, which is going to be, I think, for us, a really big point of establishing consumer trust. When is that going to be released? Later this year. Stop. That's so exciting. I cannot wait to see it. Yeah, I've been working on it for two and a half years. So we're we're really excited. Wow. That's so exciting. Um, so for someone that's listening that's thinking about having co-founders or a co-founder, from your experience uh doing Hummel with your two co-founders, what are some things that you can advise people to look for in potential founders and um what are kind of like red flags? So I would say in terms of things you're looking for, two things are really important. The first one is trust. Um, it's so important to have partners who you fundamentally trust because things are going to inevitably be hard and emotional and, um, having partners who you really feel number one, you trust them to have your back and to support you, but also you trust them so that when you disagree, you're going to listen to what they say, because that's incredibly valuable. And, um, that actually brings me to the second point, which is find partners who, are good at what you're not good at. <laughs> and do you think sure all three of you balance each other in that regard? We balance each other really well. Um, we have complementary skills and we're really able to um, allow each other to kind of shine in our own lane, um, but also bring different perspectives to the different areas that we're all focused in. Um, you know, like I bring a, a very different lens to product development than Nina would, who is really right. focused on um, you know, she brings a lot of different things from her background at Harry's and Target. Um, and Hillary has an amazing background at Jet Black and Fiji. Um, and so, so we all kind of have our own different experiences that we bring to a particular topic. Um, and I think it only strengthens the, the work product that we put out. Um, you think that that year that you guys were doing research and like having to talk to each other more frequently than you were before and, and kind of getting into that groove was necessary before actually deciding to take the leap together? Definitely. I'm also, it, it may also just be a personality trait. I'm a very cautious person. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, this is literally like a marriage. Like if you're going to go yeah, do this, like you have to be. I'm a very cautious person. I look before I leap. I'm not spontaneous. Um, so for yeah. me, it was very important. I mean, and I, I, I also was in a very lucky and unique situation that I had previous relationships with both of my co-founders that were very right. close. 
So I felt like I really knew who they were fundamentally before I even conceived of starting a business with them. I think that's the most important part. If they're a good person. Yeah, that was a very good, that was a very important part, but also just spending that year where we could actually have a working relationship together before Mm -hmm. we made the final decision to leave all of our jobs. And, you know, each of us is very ambitious and had very, um, exciting jobs that we were currently in that we enjoyed. So it was a very big step for each of us to actually leave those jobs. Um, And I think in addition to, you know, the external validation of the scientific advisors and really feeling like this was a great opportunity, it was also the fact that we had really enjoyed spending a year working together. Um, And we were excited about continuing that into a longer term, you know, I love that. And then I'm curious to know also from your perspective, from having done all these brands before and um, just from your background, when launching Helma, out of all the different things that you guys used, influencer marketing, PR, anything, what did you see be the most valuable? Where did you see the return on investment? Um, And any advice that you would give to someone that's in the dietary supplement category on where to invest your money? Yeah. Um, So for the the thing for us has always been community. Um, and so influencer marketing has been really successful for us. And that was where I would say we saw the biggest, um, it was definitely the biggest driver of buzz, I guess, around our launch and continuity. And I think the reason for that is it's when you're working with an influencer or when you have an engaged community, these are people who genuinely love your products, who are using their products have a captive audience of people who are listening to what they have to say about everything in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, particularly when you have a product that's a little bit more complicated, you know, we're not just a lip gloss or a cute dress. Um, you really need a fundamental, you know, there's an education barrier there. So you really need someone who's able to tell the story of their brand of your brand, but through their personal lens. And so we're very, um, you know, we believe we have an amazing product and we found a lot of people who agree. And so using those people to tell their personal experience of the products has been really successful for us because, um, you know, in that example versus a Facebook ad where you have 15 seconds of someone's attention, um, you know, it's, it's more compelling to hear a longer narrative from, right. from someone trust about how the product works. So what is your ultimate goal with Helma? Like, what do you see for the brand? What is next steps? Obviously this clinical um, release of the research will be amazing, but like what's next? Yeah. Well, so our vision for Helma is honestly that, you know, there's a space for natural remedies in every home and we hope to help kind of drive that forward um, and really enable people to have another option for their health that they can feel really good about. Um, and I think like in terms of what's coming up for us, we're, we're really excited about launching new products. We have a few products that are going to be launching early next year. Um, we already- do like a mitol, a mitol replacement. Okay. I'll Please take do. that. I'll take that <laughs> under advisement. Um, we just launched an amazing indoor outdoor support product, which is for sinus support from pollen and dust, which has been incredibly popular. Um, we're launching our clinical results and, you know, so exciting. Fun. So 
you're someone that I see and I can feel it in this podcast that you're working in your active ingredient, which is also why I wanted to have you on the show. But the point of the podcast is really to go through a career journey like yours, but also just to give advice to someone that might be listening to this. Maybe they just got laid off because of COVID. Like maybe they're just in a transition period where they don't know what to ask themselves to get to the place of working in what they love. Maybe that's starting something, maybe that's working for someone, but they don't even know what to ask themselves. What advice would you give to someone who came to you and was like, Lily, like I see you working in what you love. How do I get there? I well, thank you so much for saying that. That's very sweet of you. Um, I my biggest advice is to stop pursuing what you think you should be doing or what you feel like other people want you to do. For me in my career, I it was really empowering to have that realization that you can go and pursue the world is so big and you can go out and pursue whatever it is that you want. And I think I got caught up a little bit in in my early career kind of trying to be really cool and have the coolest job and be super glamorous. And I just realized that that isn't, that wasn't me and that isn't, that's not who I am. Um, and having that realization and getting comfortable with that just opened up so many more possibilities and allowed me to really follow my own instincts, um, in a way that I wasn't before. And I think that that's something that a lot of people fall into. I see it with friends. I see it with siblings, just thinking, oh, that's the cool job. I have to go after that cool job so that I'm cool. And right. that just isn't really the, the, that isn't necessarily the thing that's going to be most fulfilling to you. So, so really thinking, doing some internal work to understand what it is that you like to do and then finding a career that helps you do that. Did you do any internal work that's like tangible that we can tell the audience to, to do like anything specific? Like it can be anything like from journaling, uh, therapy, anything that you think was really helpful? You know, therapy has been amazingly helpful to me. I, I, I recommend therapy to everyone that I can and scream it from the rooftops. I think Same. it's totally <laughs> valuable to have a, an educated third party help you process um, your thoughts and emotions. And, and I've, I have actually found it to be very tactically helpful as well mm-hmm. um, in terms of coming up with new ideas or next steps um, career-wise or life-wise. Yeah. So I always advocate for therapy. Um, and then I also think just for me, I, I feel that I've had the most productive kind of internal growth when I allow myself time to be alone. Um, I think when I, you know, when I was younger, I spent, you know, I was always with my friends, always living with a roommate, always doing stuff and, and kind of distracting myself and having the ability to actually spend some time alone, think, um, spend time with yourself and your own thoughts is really important and has, has opened up a lot of growth for me personally. I love that answer. What do you think with doing Hilma is your active ingredient? Like, what is it that you wake up in the morning and you're so excited to tackle the next obstacle with the business because you're building this? Like, what's that active ingredient? I think for me, it always comes back to storytelling. I just love that I get to every day come up with a narrative that's either, either it's coming from Hilma or it's an interesting person that I've spoken to, or it's a story that we're sharing on our platform. Um, that's kind of pushing boundaries or changing perceptions of how you should be approaching your health. And I think for me, that's the thing that I love about my job. I love that. I always close out the podcast asking a lighter question. What is your literal active ingredient? Like something that you have to take, consume, do, work out to anything. 
My favorite thing is my mornings. I am very protective of my mornings. It goes back to my earlier point of being alone and being in silence and sort of having time with myself. Um, and so what I do in the morning is actually make my Hilma immune support. And it's this little ritual that I have that, you know, it used to be that I would just make tea or coffee or whatever. Um, but now I've brought in Hilma and I think it actually makes it even better for me because I have this moment by myself where I know that I'm doing something that's good for me. And it also reminds me of this thing that I've created. That you made that. (laughs) Yeah. And it's a really special for me to have that every morning. And, um, you know, the benefit, the added benefit is that I obviously am doing something that's really healthy for me and tastes delicious, but it's, it's more about that ritual of taking silent moment by myself to, Pour my hot water. Pour in my immune support. Have oh a, God, have I a want one now. Myself, to add to my morning twenty five beverages. I'm super down to add that. <laughs> exactly, and it and it it is a really nice kind of moment of reflection for me. Um, and I think it. I, I know that on days where I don't have that, I am worse at everything. So, <laughs> where can everyone find you and find Helma? Um, well, you can find Helma um, at Helma.co. Um, and on Instagram at Hilma underscore co. And you can find me at Lily Galef on Instagram. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for this. I'm going to pause the recording, but thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you can take two seconds of your time to rate and review us, it would really mean the world and help us out a ton. If you guys want more inspiration and quotes from the episode, you can check us out on Instagram at Active Ingredient. See you next week.